Kevin said earlier, we're starting our new series, uh, our 2024 series a little bit early. In 2024, we're going through the entire book of Luke. The theme for next year is Jesus. This, the theme this year was focus. About focusing means elimination. And uh, next year, the theme is just Jesus, King of Kings. And so, but you can't start a series on Luke in January because the first part of Luke is about the Christmas story. So we've got to start it now. I hope that you guys don't mind us fudging the rules a little bit. So today we're starting in part one of our 2024 series. And it's simply this, what Christmas meant to the shepherds. And the main thing is Christmas was God's invitation into his story, not yours, his story. Uh, Guys, I'm telling you, there is a story that is written on our hearts. As a matter of fact, I think almost every movie has the same plot. I don't know if you know this or not, but almost every movie has the same plot. Uh, When I was uh, three years old, I went to see Star Wars for the first time. Yeah, my mom and dad took me at three years old to see Darth Vader choking people. Yes, okay, I got to see Star Wars for the first time in 1977. This was long before Disney took it over and messed it up, okay? Uh, This was the good stuff, the original Star Wars. So Luke is a young man working his nine to five, working on moisture evaporators, kind of boring, not really doing much, okay? And then all of a sudden, he gets drawn into, lifted out of that kind of mundane life And he's drawn into a bigger conflict, a bigger story that's been going on the entire time. He was unaware of it. And the the movie is about Luke being drawn into the cosmic battle between good and evil, between rebellion and the empire. And he takes his role in this and he becomes the guy that destroys the Death Star. All right, That is the story that he was drawn into. Uh, he joins a fight. Like I said, he joins a rebellion, and he, he, he takes his part in the bigger story. Well, then several years later, I went to see another trilogy, which was The Matrix, and it was the same plot. Here is Mr. Anderson working a nothing job in a big building, one of millions of people just kind of going about their daily lives. And all of a sudden, he is red-tilled into the matrix, and he, he is drawn into this huge story that he was unaware of, this good versus evil, the people versus the machines, and he becomes Neo, and he destroys the, 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 the computers and, and, and takes them out, and he liberates the people. <clears throat> he was completely unaware of the larger story going on around him. And then uh, a few years later, after that, I went to see the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And guess what? It is the same story of Frodo Baggins working his nine to five, not doing much, hanging out in the Shire. And all of a sudden, the ring of power comes to his to his possession, and he is drawn into this big conflict between good and evil that's been going on that he was unaware of. Okay? Uh, and, and he takes his part in this story, and he's the one that destroys the ring of power, and he becomes the, the savior of, of, of humanity. Um, last night, my, my family, we were watching the Lego movie, and there was Emmett, who was doing his, his little nine-to-five thing, not really doing much of anything, and all of a sudden, he finds the piece of resistance and stops the craggle, stops Will Ferrell and his, his terrible plans for all the Lego people. It stops president business. And 
this is the same story that's been going on. The reason why this is such a popular movie theme, it's in Tron, it's the Lego movie, it's the Matrix, it's Lord of the Rings, it's Star Wars. All of these, <coughs> they all have the same plot is the, is the reason because that's our story. That is what God has put into humanity. That is what God wants for us. We're working our nine to fives. We're doing just our little thing, not bothering anybody, kind of going about our daily lives. And all of a sudden, Jesus approaches us and calls us out of that mundaneness, out of that kind of complacency, out of that life of quiet despair, which Ralph Waldo Emerson says so many people lead. And he calls us to take a bigger part in his story, which is going on, which has been going on since the beginning of time. The classic conversation between good and evil, between God and Satan, between our lukewarmness and this world and what God wants for us. And that's what we see here in this. This, this story is our story and so when God, when God approaches you, God's invitation into this great story of him from the beginning. He, in the beginning, God created the earth and the heavens. And, and he creates humanity, creates us. We fall. Uh, and, and Jesus arrives here on earth to set things right. And there's a battle between good and evil. It's over our souls. And in the end, God wins it. That story right there. And when God invites you into it, it is a personal one. Luke 2, 8 through 12. And there were shepherds living in the, out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone about them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So, this, so this, the shepherds are... Emmett, the shepherds are Luke Skywalker, the shepherds are Mr. Anderson, the shepherds are Frodo Baggins going about their daily lives, not really doing much. They're, I mean, I don't know if you've ever do much, you know, been a sheep farmer, we got one here, uh, but they aren't real exciting. They don't do a whole lot, okay? Uh, they're just kind of hanging out there, just going about their normal lives on a normal evening. All of a sudden, they're involved in the larger story, God approaches them and invites them into this amazing story that he is, is, uh, is living out. And the birth of the Son of God, you guys, was a declaration of war against Satan and the forces of evil. We have so sanitized Christmas. You know, one of the reasons why I wanted to do Away in a Manger today it was because of that line, the cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes. But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Really? Do y'all really think baby Jesus didn't cry? Do you really think that? Do you really think that Christmas back then was uh, as wonderful as we have? Do you think it was families getting together and sharing gifts? No. What happened with Christmas was Herod decided to kill every boy in Bethlehem under age two. If you look at Revelation chapter 12, the birth of Jesus, there is a huge war that breaks out in heaven. It's a fascinating read. I, I'd, I'd try to, I'd, I'd go read that if I were you. Revelation chapter 12, there is a massive war in heaven over the birth of Jesus. Well, Christmas was a declaration of war. Theologians have compared the birth of Jesus to D-Day in 1944, the opening of the Second Front in World War II. 
when the Allies opened up, like I said, against, in the war against fascism. So when, when, Jesus, when, when God invites you into this story, into his story of what's going on, it is a personal one. It is not, hey, come be like everyone. No, I've got a specific role for you to do. I've, I, there's a part for you in my story, God says, and I want you to be a part of it. That is why we follow Jesus not so that we can, we can feel good about ourselves, although we do. Not so he can solve all our problems, although he does. It's the, the thing we can participate in the great, big, huge story that God has been living since the very beginning, and it's his story. That's what it means to become a Christian. Take your part in that story. The second thing is that God's, uh, we see here in the, in the shepherds, uh, uh, that God's invitation requires leaving our current situation. You can't participate in God's story and say, stay where you have been, unfortunately. So Luke 2.15 says this, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. They have to leave their current situation. Now, what would motivate you and I to leave our current situation? When I say leave our current situation, that may be a job, that may be your current life situation, that may be some bad habits that you've got, maybe some toxic thought patterns, maybe you're in a toxic relationship where your partner is not honoring Jesus and dragging you away from your relationship with Christ. I don't know what it is, your current situation, but what would motivate us to do that? Well, the question is, what is your current situation? Is your current situation hopelessness? Is your current situation anxiety? Is your current situation unbelief? Is your current situation consumerism or materialism or worldly, just basic worldliness? Is your current situation simply doing what others are telling you to do day after day, week after week, month after month? There's only one thing that will motivate you to leave it, and it's not the fear of hell. It's not intellectual belief, as powerful as that is. It's love. Love is the only thing that will motivate you to permanently change. In my life, the only thing that's truly motivated me to change anything of significance is love. Um, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but most of, my li- most of my early life, I was a very selfish person. I was like everybody else in here. I was like everybody else in the world, very selfish, very consumed with what I, was, 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 was what I had going on. All right, I, I, I probably um, uh, was, was it, it was very difficult when I was 22 years old and I got married. For the first time in my life, I, I had to think about another person. I couldn't just do whatever I wanted to do. I couldn't just go out whenever I wanted to go out. I, I couldn't just spend money the way I wanted to spend money. I had someone else, my wife, to think about. All right, and, and it was a tough transition. I'm not saying I'd pass it with flying colors. That was tough. And anybody says that the transition from single life to married life, uh, it, it's not easy because you have to, you have to make a, ra- a, a, a radical change in that. Well, so that happened when I was 22, and then when I was 24, I became a father. I, I don't even, I don't, I think maybe by age 24, I'd made the shift into husbandhood, but definitely I had not made the shift into fatherhood. And this little tyrant who ran our house, was not cooperating. She, was, she didn't do things on my time frame. She did not sleep when I wanted her to sleep. She woke up when I didn't want her to wake up. Uh, she was unreasonable. Um, and uh, and I, I just, I didn't, I, I didn't pass with flying colors, you all. 
I, I got, as a new father, I can remember feeling resentful of this imposition on my time and this imposition on my schedule that this beautiful little baby girl had made in our lives. And so, I, I, I honestly, I'd never been around kids before. I'd never, I didn't have a younger brother. I didn't have younger siblings. I didn't have younger cousins of, of note. I, I just was never around, so this was a new experience for me. And, um, and uh, one evening, it just kind of all came to a head. Uh, Casey was probably about four months old, and I was so exhausted from lack of sleep and the impositions on my schedule, and I had a new job. We'd just moved to Alabama to plant a church down there, and, and, uh, and, and we had that transition, and, and Casey was not cooperating, um, and it was the evening time. Like I said, I was wrestling with the demands of a new job, new apartment. I was at my limit. And uh, Rachel told me to take Casey while she fixed dinner or something. And I just, I just started complaining. And it kind of blew up over it. It wasn't my greatest moment as a father. And I started saying, I can't believe this and that and the other and just complaining. Well, have you ever had a moment that changes everything? I had that moment, and this dictated the course of the rest of my life as a father and as a husband. After listening to me complain, Rachel just stopped me, and she looked at me, and she said this. She goes, Dave, Casey loves you. And everything stopped, like time stopped, and, and everything just, it was like this moment that I will never forget and it just hadn't occurred to me and when she said that I looked at this little four month old and I said wow she, she loves me and from to say that I was radically changed from that moment on is an understatement because all of a sudden, all of the complaining, all of the selfishness, all of the, 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 the thought process that she was imposing on me was just gone in an instant. And the course of my life was realigned in that moment. It wasn't, this is your responsibility. It's not, quit being a complainer, suck it up. It was, she loves you. And it was in that moment, you guys, that I truly believe that I became a father. I hadn't really considered that before. Like I said, I knew the responsibilities and the sacrifices. But when I realized she loved me, everything changed. It was a defining moment for me in my life, y'all. Love is truly the only thing that changes people. And when God invites you into his story, it's not for any other reason other than he loves you. And when you realize God loves you, Everything changes. It's, you realize that when God invites you into his story, it's not because he, he uh, has some, he's a, like a strict schoolmaster or, and, and, or a boss who's laying you on with responsibilities. No, it's because he loves you. Why did the shepherds leave their current situation? Because they realized God loved them. 
God loved them enough to send an angel to invite them into his story. And that, that got men to leave their professions. Now, how, how effective are we in the church at getting men to drop their professions to follow Jesus? Maybe we need to start emphasizing love because that's really the only thing that changes people. And like me, that set the course of my life the last 24 years of being a father. Set me on, set me on that. That's a moment that I became a father. And the moment you realize God loves you is the moment you become a Christian. Because love is the only thing that changes people. Parents, if you're worrying about your child following Jesus, if you're worried about your rebellious child, yelling at him is not going to change him. Love's going to change him. Love is the only thing that really changes people. And so if you've been resisting God, if you've been resisting people in your life that truly love you, wake up. Because having someone love you is a pretty rare thing. Don't take for granted the people that love you. Don't minimize it. Don't push them to the side. Because when people truly love you, that's a rare thing. And realizing today that God loves you, don't minimize that. Don't push it aside. Don't, don't, don't take it for granted. Because that's truly what changes us. Number three, God's invitation when he invites you is to take your role in his story. His story, not yours. One of the, one of the lies we tell young people in this society, build your resume. You know, carve out a life for yourself. Go get it. Go do what you want. What a, what a terrible thing to tell a young person. Instead, we should tell young people and middle-aged people and old people, what did God put you on this earth to do? What is God's role for you? What is your role in God's story? Don't try to create your own story. How many of us have messed things up trying to create our own story? How many of us could, 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 would love to tell our younger selves, hey, don't do that. How many of us, if we could go back, we would do absolutely, okay? We've tried living our own story. We've seen how messed up that is. Your role in God's story. That's God's invitation. Luke 2, 16 through 18. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. See, they were obedient to what God told them to do, and they were blessed. Look, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. Their role in God's story, hey, I want you to go tell people about the birth of my son. That was their role. That was their job. And they weren't like, okay, well, we've seen this. Well, you know, it's getting kind of late, God. I think, uh, I think I got to go back. Uh, it's, uh, you know, I, I, hope, I hope that this invitation uh, to, you know, to go see Jesus doesn't take too long because, you know, we got, uh, I got a tea time. Um, oh, you know, uh, I, I, hope that, that I hope we're done before lunch because I don't want to have to wait for a table. They weren't saying any of that, were they? They were saying, we're going to do exactly what we're supposed to do. Their role in the story, go tell everyone what happened. It wasn't hard to do. What if they hadn't? What if the shepherds had not gone and told what they'd seen? What if they hadn't done it? Their story wouldn't be in the Bible, would it? Their story would not be in the Bible. They would have missed out the chance to bless us 2,000 years later, with their obedience to Jesus. On, on Christmas Eve, you know, how many, you know how many churches are going to be reading the Christmas story of the shepherds 
and there were shepherds. I mean, how many times have you heard the story of the shepherds at Christmas Eve, Christmas time? You've, you've heard it all your life, okay? If they had not been faithful, we would not know their story. We would not know their role in God's story. And I wonder how many of us, 2,000 years from now, there would be a story blessing other people if we had simply been obedient. I uh, heard a story one time about a guy who died and went to heaven. And St. Peter opened the door for him and was kind of showing him around heaven. And there's this big door over here on the side. And the guy said, what's, in, what's behind that door? And St. Peter goes, you, you don't want to know what's behind that door. He goes, yeah, I, I really do. It looks pretty cool. And St. Peter goes, no, you, you really don't want to know what's behind that door. And the guy said, I really do. St. Peter goes, all right. Takes out his key, unlocks it, pushes the door open. The guy walks in, and it's this huge room. Couldn't see the ceiling, couldn't see the back of it, and it was full from, from as far as I could see, boxes. Little boxes, small boxes, big boxes, tall boxes. And the guy said, hey, St. Peter, What's in those boxes? St. Peter goes, you don't want to know what's in those boxes. He goes, yes, I do. Quit it. St. Peter goes, okay. He goes, those were all the blessings that God wanted to shower on his people. But they didn't want them. Those were all the things that God wanted to do for his people. But they didn't say, they, they didn't want them. They didn't ask for them. They didn't live the story. They didn't say yes. These were the things that were waiting for his people had they followed him. And I wonder if there are boxes up there for you and me, had we taken our role in God's story, what God would have blessed us with. It's amazing to think about. The shepherds took their role in his story and they went and told what they should have, what, what God had done for them. And because of that, here we are 2,000 years later hearing the beauty of that. I would love, I would love to get in a time machine, go forward about 100 years. After all of us are dead and gone, maybe a few of us be alive, maybe some of the infants in the nursery still be alive, but most of us be dead and gone. And I would love to see the stories that your children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren are telling about you, about the faithfulness of you, of how you shared faith with them, how you were obedient to Jesus Christ. And three, four generations down the road, they're still talking about it because you were faithful. I would love to see that. But you know what would be heartbreaking? is if our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren weren't even mentioning us or were mentioning us in a bad way, like a lot of you are remembering your ancestors right now. See, guys, when you take your role in his story, it begins to bless people 
down the line like the shepherds here. Number four, God's invitation moves us to worship. This is the big thing. This is the big thing, you guys. Check this out. When God invites us into his story and what he's got going on, Luke 2.20, the shepherds return glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. They, the, the, this big move of God motivated them to worship Okay, now worship is not just singing. We talk about that all the time around here. It's not just singing. What we did up here, yeah, that's part of worship, you know, singing songs, that's part of it, but that's not worship. Worship is surrender. Worship is acknowledging everything that God is through everything that we are. 24 7, 365. I, I, I understand we use this terminology about it's time for worship, Sunday morning worship, this kind of thing. That's really not accurate because worship is a lifestyle, not an event, okay? Worship is surrendering. Like I said, it, t- it means we look at our lives. When God moves, he invites us into our story that he would much rather us change to follow him and honor him than to sing praises to him. He would much rather us worship Monday through Saturday than just on Sunday morning. We've been, we had been all about ourselves, like me as a young father, all about ourselves, our plans, everything. And when when God invites us into his story, instead of trying to be selfish and live that story, we change. We start doing things God's way. We start surrendering. Instead of uh, going our own path, we start asking the deeper questions. God, what do you want me to do for a living? God, what do you want me to do relationally? God, is this, am I treating my wife, am I treating my husband the way that you would want me to treat them? Am I raising children to honor you? Am I uh, conducting myself during my, my business hours as, as a way to honor you. If you're a student, which a lot of you are students, am I honoring you in the classroom? Am I doing things with integrity? Do I have chances to cheat? And yet I'm not. And I'll take the lower grade because, God, that's what's honoring to you. Guys, that's worship. Okay? That's what worship is. And that's what God calls us to when he invites us into his story. I I think one of the reasons why Sunday morning is so difficult for people, sometimes it's tough to get into worship, sometimes it's tough to to focus on God during worship. Could it be? It's because we're worshiping ourselves or our schedules or our own plans Monday through Saturday, and Sunday morning is a rough shift because we've been all about ourselves, doing things our way, and Sunday morning is tough. It's a whole lot easier to worship God on Sunday when it's a continuation of Monday through Saturday, you guys. It really is. Okay? That's what worship is. Maybe uh, when God invites you into his story and you respond to that invitation, you automatically turn to a life of worship. A life of worship. You know what worship is? Kevin and Treasure going to Honduras in obedience to the Great Commission. See, Jesus told us to go into all the world and make disciples, right? You guys know that? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. You know what worship is? Actually doing it. You know what worship is? A husband and wife forgiving each other because that's what Jesus tells us to do, to forgive, (laughs) to love your enemies. Yeah, to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And that may be someone in your own house. That's what worship is. You know what worship is? Worship is giving, as Jesus told us to give, um, as the Bible tells us to give. Worship 
is allowing the Holy Spirit to invade you and manifest love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. That's what worship is. Um, Worship is going and making disciples, which is what we've been called to do in obedience to the Great Commission. That's what worship is, you all. It's so much more than just singing. See, these shepherds, when they were invited into God's story, they began living it, and the first thing, they began to worship. That's what I would love for everyone in here. Christmas, you all, is an invitation into God's story, the one that's going on, that's been unfolding. We were just kind of unaware of it, like Luke Skywalker or Frodo Baggins, or or we're just kind of doing our own little thing. And then Jesus approaches us and invites you to come follow me. Come follow me, and I will move you out of this mundane kind of thing and move you into the bigger story that you didn't even know was going on. I've got plans for you. I've got a role for you. I've got things for you to do. I've got a a big part in my story for just you. And I'm making that invitation. Why? Because I love you. I pray that everyone in here would be like me that day when I found out that my little four-month-old daughter loved me. I was changed forever. And I pray that everyone in here today would have that same moment realizing that God loves you and you're changed forever. That all the selfishness, all the complaining, all the poor me syndrome, all the everything that I was feeling in that moment that most people feel is gone instantaneously. And all of a sudden, you accept your role in this story. The story of God, you guys, is huge. It's amazing. It's incredible. I never thought after entering into God's story, I never thought I would be where I am right now. I never in my life thought I would be a pastor. Never. Uh, That was not my plan. I, I did not want to do that as a young person. I wanted to be an FBI agent. I wanted to work in the behavioral analysis unit, like uh, uh, Criminal Minds. You've seen that. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go chase criminals and track them down and try to get inside the minds of serial killers and try to anticipate and stop them. That's what I thought my role was. That's what I thought I was, I was going to do. But God called me out of that and into being a pastor where he called me plant this church, step out in faith, to, to go over to India, to go over to Nepal, to go to the, the, the nations that God has called me to go to preach, um, to, to, to be an author, to do all these things that God has, has, has just brought me into this story. I never in my life thought that God would have me here. I didn't, I didn't even think about being a husband, being a father. I didn't even think about those things when I was all about myself. But when God calls you out of that selfishness and calls you out of that mundane, just, just life of quiet desperation, when he calls you into that, he, he calls you, and all of a sudden the boxes start flowing. The boxes start flowing. He gives you purpose. He gives you calling. He gives you a role to play in his story. And the greatest thing in the life of a Christian is you get to watch God being the main character. Not me. 
You get to watch God being God. You get to enjoy God being God. Do you think the shepherds felt obligated? Do you think the shepherds felt put upon? No. They loved watching God do his stuff. They loved watching God do it, the things that they could never fathom. They, they loved watching the angels. They loved watching Jesus being born. And they, they, they didn't have any resentment whatsoever because they loved watching God be God. And that's, what, that's the greatest li- moment in the life of a Christian, watching God be God and taking your role in his story. So if you have not taken your role in his story yet, first of all, you're missing out. Second of all, I'm going to ask you to do that today. See, God wants three things from us. One, he wants you to become a Christian. He wants you to repent of your sins and accept him, be baptized. That's what, if you've never been baptized, you need to do that. What what are you waiting for? That's the entrance into God's story. The second thing he wants us to do, like I said earlier, he wants us to manifest through the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentle self-control. As he takes more and more control of our lives, he begins to manifest those things. So you as a bitter, angry, unforgiving person become someone who's full of joy and love and peace, at peace with the world and self-controlled. Um, somebody that is, that is hopeless and filled with anxiety and full of depression, all of a sudden you have this new life, this new research that the Holy Spirit invades you and begins to live his life through you. That's, what, that's the second thing he wants. The third thing he wants, he wants you to make disciples. He wants you to share like these shepherds did. They didn't keep the birth of the Son of God to themselves. They, the first thing they did, they would have said, hey, look what God's doing over there. That's what God wants for us, those three things. If you haven't done those three things, God is inviting you into his story to do that today. A wise person would take the invitation. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this church. I want to thank you.